Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. This is our 20th episode in the Immunology 101 series, a segment where we teach immunology. Joining me today are my wonderful co-hosts, Ash and Koshika. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing good. It's a nice Saturday morning and I am going for some beach time later today. So I'm very excited. Nice. <laughs> nice. I will also do some beach time, but I bet the beach time in Maine is a lot different than the beach time in California. I can tell you that beaches here are cold, so <laughs> it's oh, also well, not that good. <laughs> maybe not so different. Yeah. Right. Should we should we review what we discussed in the last episode? Yeah, sure. In the last episode, we talked about the following things. When we encounter a pathogen for the first time, a primary immune response comes into the action. During the primary response, T-cells differentiate into short-lived effector T-cells and long-lived memory T-cells. It is these memory T-cells that underpin our capacity to respond stronger, faster, and better when we re-encounter the pathogen or that particular antigen. You can say that the memory T-cells are strongly involved in the secondary immune response. Then we learned how memory T-cells differ from naive and effector cells, not only in their function, but also in how they look. And with that, I mean their surface markers. Even within memory T-cells, there are many flavors or classification types. There are central memory T-cells, effector memory T-cells, resident tissue memory T-cells, and stem memory T-cells. These different memory T-cells subset differ in either their location, the way they circulate, or their, their function. I feel like we've been talking about T-cells forever. Can we take a break to talk about it, something else? What do you mean, like weather or politics? No, I was thinking more in line with like adaptive immunity, but a different cell type to keep it kind of related, but, but definitely different. All right, <laughs> right, right. That makes more sense. Yeah, how about we switch gears and talk about B cells? Hey, that would be nice. I know that in the past, we have discussed B cell development and uh, VDJ recombination in, in the episode 10 and 6, respectively. Uh, how about going into B cell activation today? Yeah, that, that'll be a good transition, especially since our last few episodes have really been on T cell activation. So we might find like a common ground and commonalities between these different uh, cell types and their activation. Yeah, see, I, I like that idea. Let's get into B-cell activation. Our, I'll start from the beginning. And when I say beginning, I'm like very beginning of B-cells and their existence. So our understanding of B-cells, and for that matter, the entire adaptive immunity, stems from a pioneering paper written in 1957 by Sir Frank McFarlane Burnett about this thing he calls the clonal selection hypothesis. There are two important points to remember about the clonal selection hypothesis. First, the surface receptors on lymphocytes like B and T cells and the antibodies secreted by some lymphocytes like B cells have identical antigen binding specificities. The second thing the hypothesis states that is that the triggering of the surface receptors on these lymphocytes will lead to generation of multiple clones of that lymphocyte. Some of these clones or daughter cells will make huge quantities of those receptors, while some other daughter cells will be kept in reserve for a memory or a secondary response. 
needless to say, Sir Frank McFarlane Burnett was way ahead of his time. His hypothesis has provided immunologists that came after him a framework to think about lymphocytes and especially B cells. Jotan, when you say clone, what exactly do you mean? When I say clone, I mean this is going to be a replica of that cell. So it's you could say it's like a mitotic division giving rise to exactly the same copy of another cell. Oh, perfect. Okay, thank you. Yeah, what's even more remarkable is that Burnett wrote in his paper about some kind of genetic process that, you know, postulates a randomization or shuffling of genes to make new combinations that give rise to these different antibodies. So imagine hypothesizing something that is so out there, even before there's a precedent for it. Yeah, he, he didn't know about VDJ recombination, but he had already postulated something like that would exist. I know about VDJ combination and I still cannot re- recall the details of it most of the time. <laughs> oh, same. He even predicted the mechanisms of clonal deletion too, which uh, he actually wrote that such a mechanism would be required to delete self-reactive clones of lymphocytes. Yeah, the guy deserved a Nobel Prize for it. And he did get it in 1960s for his work on immunological tolerance. Yeah, thanks for like recapping all of that history about B cells. Yeah, and that's also a good segue into our current understanding of B cells. We have come a long way since 1960s. We know now that there are two major populations of B cells. We call them B1 cells and B2 cells. Both of these types have distinct developmental lineages. Since B2 cells represent the majority of the B cells found in our body, For this episode and going forward, unless specified otherwise, when I say B cells, I actually mean B2 cells. It is these B2 B cells that are responsible for making high affinity antibodies and they also form the memory cells. That was an overview of B cell classification. Uh, Let me bring in another type of classification. This one doesn't classify B cells, but the type of response that is mediated by B cells. There are two major types of B cell responses, and they depend on whether T cell help is required or not. So a B cell response can either be T dependent or T independent. Uh, Ash, what can you tell us about B cell responses that involve T cell help? I hate B cells. Wait, wait, why why is that relevant to the conversation? (laughs) Because they're just very confusing. And if other people also hate B-cells, I don't want them to feel alone. That's a weirdly strong reaction to have, but all right, you do you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I have to talk about B-cells, I guess I can start at the beginning and try to You know, B cells are complicated, so I'm going to try and uh, say this out loud so that I understand it, and hopefully it can help the listeners understand it as well. So I'm going to start from the beginning. So when we have mature B cells that are recruited to the lymphoid follicles within the lymph nodes, uh, they'll get to the follicle and they kind of look around in a way for their cognate antigen or the antigen that the B cell is specific to. And if it's not there, the B cell goes back into circulation into the blood and the lymphatics and eventually ends up back in the lymphoid follicle um, after circulating for a while. And during this time, 
you know, it's not being activated. So the, the cytokine BAF, B-A-F-F, which stands for B cell activating factor, pretty, you know, very <laughs> on point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so BAF is really important during this time for the survival of this B cell. And if it isn't binding to any BAF, it will actually die by apoptosis. So if there's enough BAF around and the B cell keeps circulating, uh, it'll, it, it will keep circulating and it'll return to the follicle. It'll circulate, return to the follicle over and over and over again. And it can actually do this for up to 4.5 months or four and, four and a half months uh, until... Until? The B cell will find its protein antigen in the lymphoid follicle. Okay, then then what happens? Well, because B cells are grumpy jerks, it'll get really, really angry. <laughs> well, activated. <laughs> uh, the antigen will bind to the immunoglobulin receptors on the B cell. So then this will signal the B cell to internalize some of this antigen. Um, and then this is part of where it gets complicated uh, because... This internalized antigen is broken down in, in process, and it's actually presented on uh, MHC2, major histocompatibility complex 2, and it'll be presented on the cell surface. And so this is how B cells can present antigen to helper T cells. Okay, that's great for the T cell, but what happens to the B cells? Yeah, exactly. So this interaction with the T cell helps the B cell get activated as well. And so it's uh, kind of a dance that the two cells play together. Specifically, this will help happen in three steps that all actually occur at the same time. First, the T and B cell meet at the MHC2 TCR complex junction. Second, they also interact through uh, the receptor CD40 on the B cell and the ligand CD40L, stands for CD40 ligand, on the helper T cell. Third, the T-cell will release cytokines that also aid in B-cell activation. Hey, wait a second. Why, why does this look a lot like T-cell activation in those three steps? Yeah, so when I'm trying to understand it, I, I also draw a lot of parallels but with T-cell activation here. Uh, signal one, where the lymphocyte receptor, either the BCR or the TCR, gets activated, and then there's a co-stimulation that's provided at signal two, and then lastly, the cytokines that are secreted. In the case of B cells, though, the nature of these signals vary in different contexts. Uh, so through these mechanisms, the T cell can activate the B cell to differentiate into three different fates. The first is an antibody-secreting plasma cell that releases pretty mediocre, but I mean, I guess important, <laughs> IgM antibodies. Uh, the second fate is, a, again, a mediocre, but... I guess, important IgM memory cell. Uh, or it can enter a germinal center, which the cell with this, and this is where the cell is trained to become an antigen detecting machine. <laughs> okay, okay, let's back it up. Where do the B cells find this antigen? You said in the lymphoid follicle? <sighs> yeah, so uh, foreign antigens in the body are found in a couple of different places based on the mechanism of entry of the pathogen. Uh, so this can be the gut, the spleen, the lymph node. They're all common antigen reservoirs. And unlike T cells that need antigen to be presented on MHC, B cells can actually recognize this antigen in a variety of different ways. 
Um, so within the lymph node, antigens that weigh less than 70 kilodaltons, which is a measure of protein weight, uh, they move around in these conduits that are like intertwining rivers through fibroblast riverbanks. Uh, so they kind of move around and B cells can reach in between these fibroblasts and pick up the antigen directly. But if the antigen makes its way all the way down these conduits, they end up around the entry point for lymphocytes in the lymph node. And so B cells can pick up the antigen here as well. Okay, you mentioned about the 70 kilodalton cutoff limit. What if this antigen is larger than 70 kilodalton? So if the antigen is larger, it doesn't actually go through these conduit conduits. Uh, it's too big for them. Uh, so there's a specialized kind of macrophage that's called the subcapsular sinus macrophage. Okay, so where are these subcapsular sinus macrophages located? In the subcapsular sinuses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, and okay, I'll I'll try to put it in an easier way. What do they do? And please talk in English <laughs> that I can understand. <laughs> what does that word mean? Yeah, so you're really testing the limits of my uh, B cell uh, uh, knowledge here. But the subcapsular sinuses, from my understanding, refers to the space between the cortex and the capsule of the lymph node. Uh, the capsules, the outermost layer of the lymph node. And these subcapsular sinuses provide passage for the transportation of lymph. Okay, that, that makes sense now. So coming back to those subcapsular sinus macrophages, these cells are special um, and really cool because they don't phagocytose as much as some of their counterparts, but they do express a lot of cell surface molecules that actually are like kind of sticky and trap any large antigen that's hanging around. Antigen uh, that is enveloped in that compartment can also be captured in this way. The subcapsular sinus macrophages can then present this antigen to B cells to activate them. And so that's another way that B cells can uh, receive antigen signals. And then there's another way, too, uh, that, that antibodies that stick around from like a previous infection they can bind to the antigen when it enters the body um, because it's kind of just hanging out looking for its its cognate antigen to help mount an a, a immune response upon secondary infection. And um, this antigen-antibody complex can also bind to immune cells that have FC receptors and then um, that you know antigen-antibody-immune cell combo there will... Uh, move along to the lymph nodes and, and the antigen will kind of tag along and eventually will also meet their cognate, cognate B cell receptor. Um, and there's actually a lot more ways too that the B cells can receive antigen throughout the body. Hmm. That's all like, exciting, but I think we need to keep going beyond what B cell, how B cells receive antigen to the point with what happens after they receive antigen. Yeah, you're probably right. And I think I would like to be done talking about B-cells for now. <laughs> you know, Ash, B-cells, they, they share a lot of interesting things with your favorite T-cells. Yeah, like what? Do you guys remember the last episode when we talked about the immunological synapse that a T-cell makes with an APC or antigen-presenting cell? Oh, yeah, that was pretty yeah. cool. 
Well, then you should remember that we said it's a connection between two cells where at least one cell is an immune cell. So similar to T cells, B cells also make immune synapses. When a B cell recognizes its cognate antigen on the surface of a cell, it forms an immunological synapse as well. And this happens in a pretty cool way. First, a few of the B cell receptors will find the antigen at the initial contact site. Based on those signals, the structure of the cell membrane on this B cell will change and about 50 to 100 B cell receptors and other related signaling molecules, they will form a cluster at the surface. Then the B cell membrane will spread over the membrane of the other cell that the antigen was found on. I really urge you guys to look this up because it is a very dramatic process and it's one of those things that you can capture on a video and feel good about, <laughs> about immune cells. <laughs> oh, dang. And they do this. So B cells do this so that there is maximum antigen to B cell receptor contact. Then the membrane contracts and the antigen receptor complex gathers around to form a small cluster. Yeah, that sounds like Elastigirl from The Incredibles. <laughs> or Miss Marvel. Yeah, it, it does. And yeah, and I guess this is not something specific to B cells. A lot of cells do this where they would gather around another cell or another stimulus if it helps them to start a signaling cascade through that. Anyway, and then after that, all kinds of other molecules that are important for the BCR signaling, they come in like Ig alpha and Ig beta. These are co-receptors that hang out with the BCR. And there are tyrosine kinases downstream of it. For example, this tyrosine kinase called LYN, spelled L-Y-N. And then, then all kinds of adhesion molecules will surround these receptors like the outer ring of a bullseye. And this is the immunological synapse. Okay. Koshika, can you tell us what happens after this immune synapse is formed? Yeah, sure. So when an antigen binds to a B cell, it triggers a series of events that activate the cell. So within seconds, the B cell receptor clusters together thanks to these fluidic areas on the cell membrane, which are called lipid rafts. And this clustering will activate intracellular kinases such as LYN, as you mentioned, L-Y-N, and FIN, which is F-I-N. Uh, LYN then phosphorylates the ITAM, the immunoreceptor tyrosine-based activation motive tyrosine residues on the Ig alpha and beta receptors, uh, allowing the binding and activation of downstream kinases and more proteins are activated in the signaling cascade. Have we talked about ITAMs before? Yes, we have. ITAMs are a conserved sequence of amino acids with tyrosines in specific places. Um, like Koshika mentioned, in case of the B cell receptor signaling thing, the Ig-alpha and Ig-beta receptors have this. And it is these tyrosines in these motifs that get phosphorylated by the tyrosine kinase LIN in the case of B-cell signaling. And a similar thing happens in T-cells as well, which Natalie and I discussed in the episode 17 when we were talking about T-cell activation. Okay, so it looks like all this begins when the antigen binding with the antigen binding to the BCR. Uh, so I have a question. Is the binding of the antigen to the BCR is that all you need for B cell activation? That's a good question. 
when immunologists looked for proteins that were in close association with the BCR, they found three transmembrane molecules, CD19, CD21, and CD81. Now, the functions of these receptors is very peculiar. They work as core receptors. So some antigens are presented to the BCR bound with complement components. Now, CD21 binds directly to certain complement antigen complexes, and this also leads to the activation of the B cell. So what do these co-receptors do exactly? Yeah, so they more or less act like... uh, like a rheostat. So these co-receptors can increase or decrease signaling thresholds, making it more or less likely for the B cell to signal. They also assist in signal amplification. I like that rheostat analogy because that's literally what a rheostat does. It reduces or increases (laughs) resistance. And you could say that it's the kind of resistance in terms of signaling. Anyway, so signaling is cool. That's what I did my PhD on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I want to move away from signaling. I always wondered if B cells can interact with other antigen-presenting cells. Uh, what do we know about that? Yeah, that's also another great question. And to briefly answer, yes, B cells do interact with antigen-presenting cells. And they do so for selfish reasons. They can acquire antigens from other antigen-presenting cells. And there are two main mechanisms that B cells use to acquire antigens. Now, the FAST mechanism involves the release of proteolytic enzymes into the synaptic junction between the B cell and the antigen-presenting cell. Now, these enzymes will cleave the bond between the antigen and the cell, and this will allow the B cell to kind of like grab it, internalize the antigen with its B cell receptor. Imagine being a hard-working DC, finding antigens from the tissue and migrating to the lymph nodes to show it to the T cells, only to end up getting your antigen snatched away from you by a stupid B cell and claiming it as if they did all the hard work. Ash, I'm starting to see why you hate B cells. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we should talk about the mean things cells do to each other sometime. But for now, though, let's come back and discuss the second mechanism, which might also be a slightly mean mechanism, but (laughs) the second mechanism is a bit more unusual, and it involves the B cell using its actomyosin fibers to physically pull the antigen from the surface of the antigen-presenting cells into the B cells. Now, this, as I said, is a process which is known as mechanical pulling or antigen extraction by membrane imagination. Now, once the antigen is internalized, the B cell can process it and present it on the surface uh, with MAC2 class class 2 molecules, which then can activate helper T cells and initiate an immune response. So basically, the B cell can bully other APCs to give them their antigen like like they're bullies in high school stealing lunch money. I mean, there is some use of force... uh, whether the intention is to bully, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> yeah, I've always wondered how do B cells know where to go inside the follicle? Isn't it a very complicated structure? Yeah, indeed, it's actually quite a complicated structure. Let's continue this discussion later. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> okay, Ash, we get it. You just hate B cells. <laughs> Okay, as someone who hates B-cells, Ash, can you summarize what we've talked about today? (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Okay, this will help with my understanding too, so this is good. Okay, so, all right, so we talked about how B-cells express 
a BCR, a B cell receptor with a specific antigen specificity. Um, and the recognition of their cognate antigen will lead to B cell activation. Uh, we also talked very briefly about how B cells are classified into two major populations. So we have B1 cells and B2 cells, uh, and the B2 cells are making the high affinity antibodies and forming the memory cells. Uh, yeah, and so then then we talked about how the B cell responses are classified and the B2 responses are classified into two major types. Um, so this will be T cell dependent or T cell independent. Um, then when the B cell finds its cognate antigen, it uh, gets activated and internalizes the antigen, which is then presented on uh, MHC2 on the cell surface. We also talked about how B cells are very mean cells because they'll <laughs> steal antigens from other APCs by physical force or through enzymatic digestion. I think this is all about B cells. I feel like we're running a defamation campaign against B cells. <laughs> oh, they're just they're not very nice cells. Anyway, I think this would be a good point to wrap up the discussion. Thanks a lot, Koshika and Ash, for this wonderful discussion. I want to extend a shout out to Eugenio for contributing with the contents for this episode. For our audience, if you're interested to know more about our science communication endeavors, please check out antibodies.org. You can find out about our blogs and podcasts there. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at antibodies1 at gmail.com. With that, I'm your host, Jatin Sharma, signing off until we meet again. Bye-bye. Bye. See you.